0: Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at
1: www.mastermindagent.com.
0: Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Kristen Cole with Keller Williams Realty in Scottsdale, Arizona. Last year she closed 249 transactions with a total sales volume of 50 million and 1.7 million in GCI. Her average sales price was 201,000, of which 41% were buyers and 59% were sellers. She has a 21-member team, four buyer agents, one listing partner, one lead administrator, one closing coordinator, one director of lead generation, One executive assistant, one runner, one bookkeeper, four virtual assistants, five expansion partners, and one team leader. Kristen Cole is the team leader of the Kristen Cole Real Estate Network. She's been an agent for 30 years. She's also the vice president of mega agent expansion for Keller Williams Realty. In this call, Kristen talks about starting in real estate right out of college. Being a solo agent for 15 years before starting a team. Working in a small rural market in Alaska. The expansion team concept. How she expanded into another city in Alaska and then a city in Arizona. Running a team of people in two different states and virtual assistants in another country. And the technology she uses to make it work. When expansion teams are a good idea, and when it's not. Lessons she's learned after mentoring over 600 agents on expansion teams. How she and her team are converting 7% of her internet leads into closings. The benefits of a 7th level team. Team dynamics, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Kristen.
1: Well, it's a pleasure to be here with you today. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, thank you, Kristen. It's great to have you. Kristen, before we talk about what you're doing now, Let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate.
1: Well, here's what's interesting is I actually went to college and I majored in finance and real estate at the University of Arizona in Tucson. So it was my intention from the beginning to actually get into real estate. So I uh, left college in the second week of May and had my license. Back then, of course, you had to uh, fill out your licensing you know, questions with a with a number two pencil and send it off six weeks later, you finally got your results. It's not like it is today. However, I did get my license in July and started in July of 1984. And I was a single agent without a team at all for 15 years.
0: You said you knew that you wanted to get into real estate at a pretty young age. How did you know that? You majored in in college. Did you just kind of decide while you were in college or had you already predetermined that before you even went to college?
1: My mom had actually just started in real estate prior to me going to college. She'd been in real estate about two years. I liked it. I thought it was intriguing. I, I, I really liked the uh, entrepreneurial side of it. It just seemed like something that would be a natural fit for me. So when I found that the University of Arizona actually had a degree in real estate and finance, um, actually it's a double major, I thought, boy, that's exactly what I wanted to do.
0: When you got into real estate, you said you were a single agent for the first 15 years. That very first year, did you have a fast start or a slow start?
1: Well, I remember it like it was yesterday. Anytime um, you you are um, basically taking all the money that you make and putting it back into the business, it's painful. And um, the first year, I made $33,000, and I thought it was horrible. And yet what I know today, and I just looked at the NAR stats here the other day, only 16% of all men and 11% of all women today make more than $100,000, and that's growth. So it probably wasn't so bad, you know, 30-some years ago to, you know, make $33,000 my first share. But again, for me, I thought that was um, very, very slow. And my goal was um, to take the money that I had earned,
0: put it back in the business, and ramp it up as fast as possible. Do you recall how many transactions that was, $33,000?
1: If I remember correctly, I sold eight or nine homes that first year, which again, you know, certainly isn't lighting the business on fire, but it was enough to keep going.
0: Did you recall what you did that very first year to to get things ramped up? You know,
1: for me, what, what's interesting is I did most of it by word of mouth. I wasn't really a, a cold caller, but what I would say is I made sure everyone knew that I was in the real estate business. I was fairly young, and so I... I did my best to dress very professionally and to attend networking events and to really let people know that I was in real estate. So it was mostly word of mouth. I didn't spend a lot of money because I didn't have a lot of money.
0: Now, how long has it been? So you said 1984. So what is that about 30, 31 years now that you've been in real estate? This past summer, I started my 32nd year. So I finished 31 years. Yeah. Let's move forward to today. How many homes did you sell last year?
1: When you look at the total number of transactions, it was about 249. However, as a an agent in a small town, we really sell everything. So there were a few commercial transactions in that number. There were some land transactions. The majority, the super, super majority, 80, 88, 89% of them were homes that were sold last year. And I have expanded. So you know, I have an expansion location in Anchorage, and I also have an expansion location in Arizona that that we now have so that has started you know the first couple of years also it's kind of similar to the, my beginning 30 some years ago we're fairly slow um, now Anchorage is doing very well and Arizona's coming along.
0: Do you recall the the sales volume last year?
1: It was just over 50 million in volume in Alaska and then another five million down here in Scottsdale.
0: Would you be willing to disclose what your gross commission income, your GCI, was last year? Just over one point seven million. We're going to come back and talk about your expansion teams in just a moment, but before we do, I, w- I want to talk about your base or your hub market, Wasilla, Alaska. Could you tell us where is Wasilla, Alaska?
1: Well, it is a very small town. Um, when I first, my family first moved there. There's a gas station, a tiny, tiny little grocery store. So when we say rural, it's rural. So it's about 45 minutes um, north of Anchorage. Today, the Matsu borough, which encompasses Palmer, Wasilla, Sutton, Calkeetna, uh, Willow, Big Lake, a lot of small towns, it's about 85,000 in total population. My office serves about 35, 40,000 of, of that population. Because we've just, you know, I used to go everywhere. now. We, we pretty much primarily stay in Palmer
0: and Wasilla. Could you please describe your current real estate market? What we're looking for here is your average price, type of home, average days on the market, and your price trend, up, down, or flat.
1: So in Wasilla, our trending is about two to three percent a year in terms of growth on the average sales price, which for the, the MLS is about 225. Our our average is about 255. The number of days on the market for the MLS in our area is 65 days on the market. Our number of days on the market is just shy of 48. So, we do tend to sell them a little faster and for a little more money than than most. In Anchorage, the average sales price is 369 and the average number of days on the market in the MLS is 47. So, it is a higher average sales price and a quicker turnover. Hence, while why I did choose to expand into Anchorage when I wanted a bigger business. So Anchorage does have, you know, how how we typically talk about how many months of inventory we have on the market. Well, in Anchorage we we um, talk about number of days instead of number of months because it literally has come to that. And you would think that would drive prices upward, and that's that it has. To, but we have never ever had a market where you know, the average sales price goes up by 25% in one year. We just have a very slow, progressive market. And it's typically anywhere from 3 to 6% a year. One of the things that has really, I think, kept our market slow is the price of oil. Price of oil, you know, three years ago was over $100 a barrel. And last week it went to $38 a barrel. So that causes people to pause, causes people to not make a decision if they don't have to. And I think that that has has certainly um, put a governor, if you will, on our market.
0: So all real estate is really local and it's based on your local economy and that local economy is being affected by oil. Yes,
1: yes, very much so. And it's completely different, you know, in Arizona. In Arizona, you know, as long as you are less than 500000 things are selling fairly quickly you know, uh, 90 to 100 days. When you go over that, and all of a sudden, you know, you're in the 500 to a million range. The number of days on the market almost doubles. So that market here in the Phoenix and Scottsdale area, the upward market, you know, the the luxury market, especially over a million, is still slow. So you're right. You have to know your market. Every market is very local, and unfortunately. A lot of times, all the sellers here is national numbers, which is the average of all of, you know across our nation, which is has absolutely nothing to do with really what's going on locally.
0: Well, Kristen, let's let's open up a, a better picture for people. You've you've kind of teased them a little bit with this expansion team idea. Let's let's dig into that. Could you please describe your organization of your brokerage structure here? your team structure, you have a base of operation in Wasilla, and then you also have expansion teams in, in, is it two or three other markets? In
1: two other markets right now, yes, and we're looking at launching into a third.
0: That was Anchorage and Phoenix, correct? Those are your expansion markets? Yes. How long have you been working on this expansion concept? So my question
1: to the chairman of our company, Gary Keller, about five years ago, is if I want a bigger business, what are your suggestions? And he said, you know, you're in a very small market. There is a, you know, there is a ceiling of achievement, if you will. Here. At some point, the cost for you to take an incremental additional market share is going to be cost, you know, cost prohibitive. You would be better off to go into another location. And so that's when we first started talking about Anchorage. I actually launched into Anchorage with an expansion partner in 2012 and um, that has been a very good decision for us because the average sales price is higher, the turn rate is higher and our hub, our main hub is centrally located. When I say central, I don't necessarily mean geographic. Now back in 2012, it was all geographically located in Wasilla. However, today about 60% of the team members are in Wasilla. We have four that are outside the country. We have three that are part of the hub that are in Phoenix, and so as you can see, when I say centralized, I want people to think about centrally producing and lead generating for another location or for any location from a centralized hub, meaning we, are, we have a lead generation lever that we're able to turn on in order to produce leads, appointments, closings in other locations even though it's being processed and, and literally driven by people who are central, meaning they are doing it for all locations, not just one. So it's the same with administration. You know, do you have an administrative team that can process those listings and closing for the most part, from a centralized location? So the best way to describe it is um, expansion is where you have a centralized hub that can produce a lead generation source for additional locations and then can actually close the transaction.
0: I've been trying to wrap my mind around this Let me know if this makes sense. It'd be the same as if you stayed in Wasilla and you wanted to expand and you took an office way down the hall on the other end of the office building and you put a new buyer agent or a new agent in there and you let them use the staff that you have in your current hub. In the old days, it would just be down the hallway. That was easy for us to visualize and do. Today, you've simply taken that satellite office and you've moved it first 45 minutes away to Anchorage and then later, I don't know, hours and hours of fly time away over to to Phoenix. But because of the technology, you can still interact with that satellite agent.
1: That's absolutely correct. And if you think about it, I don't know a lot of agents that wake up every day and say to themselves, I cannot go away to do paperwork. I cannot wait to, to cold call people. Most of the time they wake up and say, you know, I really want to be with buyers and sellers. And so if you can take those other activities that they really don't want to do and aren't very good at off their plate and allow them to do, go do what they're very good at, that's what expansion really is. And that's why you can attract some talented people to that value proposition is because you're allowing them to go do what they
0: want to do. You're providing all the back office work as well as the lead generation for that agent, just as though they were to join your, your core team there in Wasilla. It's just now they're in another location.
1: That is exactly right. You have got it.
0: And you did this because you were, you were hitting a, a wall as to your production level in your small market, in your small rural market, and you start looking outside that. So I could understand going to Anchorage. What made you decide to go all the way to Phoenix,
1: That is a great question. Great question. Originally, I came to Arizona because I was asked by Mark Willis to be the regional director for the Keller Williams offices here in the Southwest region, which is all of Arizona and all of Nevada. Gary Keller had been working on this expansion concept for more than 20 years, and that was really his vision. And he called me after I'd been here about a year and a half and said, I would really like you to partner with me on really teaching agents across the country how to do this. And I said, yes. And so I, interestingly enough, during that time, I was here as regional director. I also became an investor in an OP in a 300 agent market center up here in Scottsdale. And three of my five children have graduated to college here in Arizona. And so there's a lot of reason for me to be here. And, and now with with an office here and a team here, I have four expansion partners here in this location. I go back and forth. And so it is a great alternative to Alaska in the winter time.
0: Sounds like you're splitting your time between those two cities, between those two markets. Are, are you flying back and forth evenly, like six months in each market? Or do you go back and forth each week? How do you do that?
1: Oh, heavens no. Of course, the, the folks up in Alaska would like for me to come back more often than I do I typically go to Alaska about every two months, and I spend five to seven days
0: there. It's five to six days every 60 days or so. So about 10% of your time is back in the, the home market, and the rest of the time, I assume, is in Arizona. And then you also do other things with Keller Williams, which we'll go into later. But what's interesting to me is that means that your core business, your hub market there in Wasilla, is operating by itself, correct?
1: Well, yes and no. So I do have a gal up there that leads my team and she took over in 2012, um, leading the team up there and does a great job. So I typically am the one to help lead the vision for, but other than that, she's the one that executes on a daily basis and holds people accountable.
0: So your office in Wasilla, has it achieved the seventh level?
1: Yes, yes, very much so. You know, honestly, if I have time on my hands and I start to meddle in their business, they quickly remind me that I can go back to Arizona now. (laughs) (laughs) Very good.
0: A question I have for you is, do you, and, and maybe Gary, do you see expansion teams as the eighth level or is it an extension of the seventh level?
1: It's really an extension of the seventh level because really when you think about it, your first sales team is your first expansion. So if you think about your hub being the administrative and the lead generation side of the business, then your first expansion team really is your sales team. And so when you can think of it that way and think that it doesn't matter where the salesperson is, whether they're right there in Wasilla or they're in Anchorage or Arizona, the lead gen and the admin are, are being done by the core group, which can be centrally located, although not necessarily. So it is an extension of the seventh level, not an eighth level.
0: That is another interesting point. Your core group has now expanded across states and across the country. Again, I assume that must be because of the technology. You can keep them all connected. What kind of technology do you use to make sure they're all communicating with one another?
1: I think most large teams are struggling with this right now, especially with their CRM system. You know, what can we use where... We only have one system, and there's not double entry. And so those those issues have been around here the last few years, and, and, and industry leaders have been working very hard to solve some of those. We think we have a pretty good platform that we're using today for that CRM process. And it certainly is far better than what we were using before, which is literally double and triple entry, and it was very time-consuming and labor-intensive. So, in order to be more efficient and effective, um, moving to our new system has been very helpful. And same thing with the lead generation system. We, we've just learned that there are some things that you can do locally that aren't very efficient or very effective when you, you know, especially when you go outside of
0: your your current location, and most definitely when you go across the state line. What type of system are you using for your CRM? It's called Team Leads.
1: The majority of the of the company is in Canada although they do have folks here in the U.S. as well and certainly Keller Williams has a large staff of their folks there in, in Austin, Texas, but that's a system that we have just moved to this summer. Very happy with it, which will allow us by the end of the year to actually have a dashboard of all of our teams within that system
0: are you using other technology to keep the communication between the parties i assume for instance you're you're using email are you using uh, google docs or what else are you using to keep the information centralized and people can talk to one another
1: we do use google docs we use google calendar we just found that you know using the google drive and sharing sharing it across our platform helps is very helpful using google calendar so that you know the the hub if you will no matter where they're located at can set appointments for our sales force that's been very helpful helpful so you know no matter how big you get you you know when you can see everyone's calendar it it keeps you from double booking um, and it also allows everyone to see the calendars real time and that's been very helpful especially when we have team members that are
0: outside the us how do they communicate if they need to talk to one another? Do they get on the phone and talk? Do you use some type of face-to-face Internet connection? How are the, the parties inside the team talking to one another?
1: Well, they do a daily call together. This is an 8- to 10-minute call. Every single person is on that call. And it's basically an accountability piece um, where everyone reports their numbers. Um, and and you would think, well, how on earth do you get that done in 8 minutes? But we do. Uh, and then it comes out in a literal paper form um, electronically, a digital form afterwards. But getting on that call every day really helps with culture. It also helps with accountability. And everyone is hearing what everyone else is doing. Um, some of our folks are, you know, like I said, outside the country. If we need them, you know, they we have come up with lots of different systems to use, Skype, Viper for texting across the, um, outside the U.S., And then we use Uber Conference. We just moved to Uber Conference, which Uber Conference will call everyone at the same time.
0: So you're not sitting on the call waiting for everyone to join. You mentioned you have some people outside the country. Where are they located? Most of them are in Manila, in the
1: Philippines. They are absolutely just incredible human beings. I love them to death. They've been with me for a long time. And they just do some of the back-end support so consistently and, and are really able to help us to go into a new area by gathering data uh, for us. And they're just a great group of folks and really, really
0: appreciate them. The Philippines, they speak English there?
1: Yes, they do. It's their second language. The gals, and we have two, two females and two males. If you are emailing with them, the written word, you would not know that English was not their first language. Um, when we talk to them via Skype, I mean, you can hear... Their accent a little bit but these are very talented people and and they are just
0: incredibly great workers and a huge part of our team let's talk some more about the structure of an expansion you've got two of them the first one you did was in Anchorage what is the relationship between you and the person in Anchorage first of all what did you call them you called them an expansion partner
1: Yeah. so um, my expansion partner in Anchorage is Charlie Charlie Started with us in 2012, he is a, just a phenomenal team member. That is a great agent, and he's backed up and supported by our centralized hub. So Charlie goes out and lists property and represents buyers, and is um, just just a great a great agent. He was actually a buyer's agent in Chicago for 13 years before he and his family moved to Alaska, and we were just fortunate
0: enough that he uh, joined our world. I was about to ask you, how did you find Charlie? Through the help of the team leader in our Anchorage Market Center,
1: I called her, um, Jennifer Tumor, she's now in Alabama, but I called her told her exactly what I was looking for. She knew what our culture was like. And she knows that we have a high degree of accountability and yet are very family-oriented. And she said, I think I've got just exactly the right person for you. He's not with our company today. He was with our company, but I I think he would be a great fit. And she helped me recruit him back to the company and join our team.
0: Tell us more about that relationship between the the hub and the expansion agent. And for instance, why would the expansion agent want to be part of this this structure, this organization? Well,
1: it kind of gets back to, to my earlier statement. I don't think there's any great salesman out there that wakes up every day and says, Get me, let me add the paperwork, let me add the paperwork. And um, so our value proposition to them is, is really threefold. One, we will take care of the paperwork for you. So as soon as you list the property and have it all signed off with the seller, Sean, our listing coordinator who is in Wasilla, she would be the one that processes it, gets it in the MLS, orders the pictures, et cetera, et cetera. So literally it's a handoff. And um, after when we have an offer and once it's been negotiated, same thing, hand it off to our closing coordinator who takes it all the way to closing. So the value proposition to a great salesman is let's take the paperwork off of you, let you go do what you do best, and um, we, you know, through our lead generation system, we will be attracting new buyers and sellers to our, our hub and we will, set up not only, we will not only get you leads, but we'll set appointments for you as well. And that's a big value proposition when you wake up every day and you don't have to do the paperwork and, oh, by the way, you have leads to follow up on and appointments that are being set for you.
0: Who pays for the space that Charlie's in? I do.
1: And that, that, that's not a hard and fast rule. It's just um, the value proposition that I provide to him. There's some expansion folks where the expansion partner is the one who pays for it in this particular case um, um, that was my value proposition to Charlie, so I pay for
0: it. you mentioned that the the hub the hub office is helping Charlie with the uh, listing paperwork as well as the con the under contract paperwork and potentially some negotiation there uh, now you've also got this partner in Arizona. How are the people in Wasilla helping the person in Arizona with the paperwork? Are there any legal issues, or do you have everybody licensed in both states?
1: Great question. I am licensed in both states. Everyone on my team in Wasilla, with the exception of the uh, the gentleman who puts up our signs, is licensed. And I have a licensed team member in Arizona who does the listing and closing process for our Arizona team because, of, because a lot of the activities that they do require a license. And so I could have done a couple things. I could have had Tiffany, who's our closing coordinator in Alaska, get licensed in Arizona, just like I did. I'm licensed I'm a licensed broker in both states. However, when I look at the capacity, the number of transactions she's already closing, and the fact that we want to grow in Anchorage, I chose to not do that so that she has the excess capacity to handle those additional transactions. And so I chose to uh, instead um, hire someone here in Arizona who is also licensed to handle that same process. But instead of having two people like I do in Alaska, I have one and she does both. At some point when she reaches capacity, then we'll hire someone else. So it was a matter of, if I thought we were at finite capacity in Alaska, Um, I would have definitely had Tiffany get licensed and handle the closings in both locations. But because we're not at capacity in Anchorage, I wanted to leave her that extra capacity to handle those additional transactions.
0: If someone was listening and they were thinking about doing their first expansion team, do you recommend that they do it in the same state they're currently in so that it's a little easier on these type of issues, the, the legal issues, with helping with the paperwork?
1: Oh, my goodness, yes. If I could say one thing, many, many times on this call today, if you're going to, expanding across the state line is not for the faint of heart. Um, the best, the best expansion you can do is to expand, um, you know, locally first. Um, so if you're in a big metro city like Phoenix, Arizona, you could certainly, um, where there's several, you know, offices across the city, expanding in your city until you have grown it to the level that you know, you want to expand again, it makes the most sense. It's the most efficient, it's the most profitable, and it is the least amount of hassle. If you want to add complexity to expansion, just go across the state line. I mean, and if you can, when you expand, try also to say within the same MLS. So staying within the same MLS, the same state, the same city initially is the most profitable way to expand and the most efficient.
0: You stay within the same state. You went to Anchorage. You have Charlie there. He's been with you since 2012, so several years now. How many transactions did Charlie close last year?
1: When we first started, I believe he closed 12 the first year. And now he's on track right now to close about 35 this year. I mean, the transaction he just closed last week was a $650,000 expired that you know, had called in from one of our ad campaigns. And so my point is is that we have done that with minimal amount of advertising. Now that we have the track record and and certainly the results to show it and, and are profitable, now we can take some of those profits and actually do more in terms of advertising and lead generation than we've done before. So what I think you'll see, especially with Anchorage, is you will see kind of like you know, the hockey stick, we have been going in an upward trajectory kind of slow, but sure. And now I think you're really going to see it take
0: off. You helped Charlie go from 12 to 35 transactions this year. So within three or four years, basically tripling his production and I assume his income. So that's, uh, that's pretty good. And that's uh, way above the national average for an agent's number of closings. It sounds like Charlie's doing great. He's doing great, and
1: he's achieving the – he's really achieving not only just the financial goals that he wanted, but he's also achieving the other parts of his life that are important to him as well. So it really has been a good fit for him, and it allows him to really leave work at work and and focus. He has a, a family, three children, delightful wife, and so it was more than just money to Charlie course money is always important to all of us to some degree or another Um, but you know he it was about helping him achieve all of his goals not just the
0: financial ones. Kristen if you were going to expand again and add another agent in your expansion network today would you expand in Anchorage and Phoenix first and say take it from uh, one expansion partner to two or three or four, or would you go into another geographic location?
1: I would do the, what you said first, unless someone um, extremely talented showed up in my world and wanted to wanted me to expand into another location, which is kind of what happened. So my natural, I think the natural progression of the business and certainly the most profitable is that when Charlie gets to a place where he needs help. We would first hire, a, you know, a, a showing assistant or a buyer's agent to help him. And so certainly that would be the natural progression in either location. But what has also happened is um, a very talented gentleman has has uh, started dialogue with me in another location, and he's a mega agent in and of, in and of his own right, and wants to expand in the state that he's in and wants us to partner to do that. So that's a that's another um, piece that I'm considering right now. And I would not consider if that type of a talented person had not shown up, I would continue to grow my business exactly um, like you described.
0: So do you see each of your expansion partner, do you see them as a leader that's going to develop that expansion market? Or do you see them more as, say, a buyer agent that's currently on your team?
1: Here's what's interesting. It can be
0: either or, or both,
1: and I'm not tied to the outcome. I'm tied to making sure that the people that I'm working with are getting what they want. And so so why would I say that? Because you you can have really great talented people who want to go dominate a certain area, but they don't necessarily want to grow a big team. That may not be on their big list to continue to add people that they are responsible to lead. On the other hand, you have people exactly like that that want to do that. No, by the way, once they built it out, you know, want to hire the replacement and go do it again. Both are fine. Um, I just think, as as the leader, you have to know um, what your people want, and you have to make sure that they're getting it. And if, if for instance, in the first example, they are someone who doesn't want to be the team leader and 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 just totally build it out, that's okay. It truly is. I mean, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to continue to expand in that area, but it may mean, it may look a little different. Um, you may have, like I do in Arizona right now, I have. Four expansion partners in Arizona and they're all in different locations or they're all primarily responsible for different locations.
0: That's okay too. So you have four expansion partners in Arizona? Yes. Do they have one central leader or are they all independent?
1: So they have a central leader and, and yet they are independent. So if any one of the four of them wants a showing, you know, their business gets so big that they need help and they want a showing assistant, that's great. If they want to stay at a certain level and the business calls for additional people, I'm not opposed to hiring another expansion partner who can take on that uh, geographic location, if you will. So, you know, all of them are are very specialized in in particular farm areas or zip codes. And they, you know, put a stake in the ground and this is what what I want to be about and this is the location I really want to be about. So, Again, I think people get caught up in thinking everything has to fit neatly in a box. What I think has to fit neatly in the box is are you helping your people get what they want? Are you doing it profitably and efficiently and, and using your hub to facilitate those parts of the transaction that most agents don't want to
0: deal with? I'm sure a lot of people listening, they're wondering what the structure of the, say, the compensation is or the revenue split between you and your expansion partner, the team and the expansion partner. How does that look? Again, a really, really
1: great question. It absolutely 100% depends upon what the value proposition to them is and what it isn't. So I'll give you an example. If you are setting appointments for someone, that value proposition is wildly different than someone that is doing all their own lead generation and setting their own appointment. So it gets down to how much is the hub supporting the expansion partner? Is it just the admin side or is it the lead gen system as well? So again, it, it, it depends. The more value you as the expansion agent provide to that expansion partner, then of course, how the profits that distributors look differently than if the expansion partner is responsible for more of the activities
0: than the hub is. Would it be accurate to say that the compensation structure for the expansion partner is going to be very similar to the compensation program that you have for your buyer agents and listing agents in your hub office?
1: I would say it can look very similar to that if you're providing a high degree of value. Absolutely. where When the value proposition changes, you will see... The percentage, if you will, and I don't really like to talk about percentages because I, I really, you know, because it, it, I really like to talk about are they getting what they want. If we're to use that analogy, when, when the value proposition is less than what you're typically providing at the hub um, for your your agents that you you know um, for your first sales team, if you will, then the percentage to the expansion
0: partner would be higher. Sure. So if you do more for the expansion partner, they make less. If you do less for the expansion partner, they make more.
1: Yes and no. They may make more as a, as a gross number, but not as a net number. I think if you ask anyone that is part of my original sales team, or really Charlie or just any of them, they make more money today than they've ever made being part of a team. And so that's why I don't like talking about splits because People get so caught up in the percentages, and the truth is, you know, you can make 1% of a big number, you can make 90% of a small number, and it really is, does the agreement that you have with your sales team, are they getting what they want? And if they are, they're not going to leave you, and as a matter of fact, they will help
0: you grow your business. You've also mentioned that you do lead generation for, for many of your expansion partners. How are you able to do that when it's in another market or, in this case, another state?
1: It can be through touch pieces. Since I'm licensed in both states, I have IDX feed in both states. So any touch piece that I may do for Alaska, I can certainly do for all the people in our geographic farms. So to help maybe with the understanding of that, it's tied to my license. So I'm the one that's creating the touch pieces that go out to, you know, our different farm areas or the postcards or, you know, if I'm calling on a geographic farm, you know, with my voice. And that's why it really is important to understand that if you want to maintain control and certainly be able to do things that require a license, you've got to be licensed in that state. And so also you need to check your state laws. Every single state is different. In the state of Arizona, you can solicit for an appointment without a license. There are other states that you can't do that. So you need to be aware of what your state laws are and what you can and can't say. Even though you can solicit for an appointment in Arizona, you can't talk brokerage services without a license. So knowing exactly what the law does and doesn't allow for, and then creating lead generation systems around around those programs such that you catch more
0: people in your net. Is the major driver for your lead generation is it geographic farming?
1: That's the long-term play. It doesn't create today's business. So you know when you look at how you do, build a business, it's sequentially over time. And so the you know the best thing you can do initially, of course, is door to door, open houses. I mean, the, the same things that I did 30 years ago. Business to business relationships, certainly calling expired and for sale by owners. Those are the things that create now business while you're building the database because it takes at least two to three years to really start. Achieving any sort of results
0: that are we're talking about out of a geographic farm? Do you generate internet leads for your expansion partners? Of course, of course, and we cultivate them.
1: And when, then when they raise their hand and want to, you know, actually see a property or talk talk about real estate, then we hand them off to our buyer agent or our listing partner. And if um, they go back to being what we would call a B or a C buyer, they go back to being back in the system. They never leave the system. But we pause and restart, or or um, take pause off of any sort of campaigns that we have going in our CRM if they aren't ready yet. Maybe need six more months to clean up their their credit history or whatever that might be. So we definitely have. And, and here's what's interesting, and I'll tell you why I love the ladies in the in the Philippines so much. Um, All of our back-end work, you know, in terms of putting them into our CRM and launching plans and systems to make sure that anyone that comes into our system are touched on. We went from converting 2 to 3% of all of our closed deals um, as a a result of the Internet um, five years ago to to last year, 21% of all of our closed transactions came originally from the Internet. That's a tenfold increase. So it's huge. That just tells you that the biggest piece in real estate isn't the initial call that everyone thinks about. The biggest piece in real estate that really helps you build your business in a powerful way is follow-up. And when you've got a team that can help with that follow-up, it makes all the difference in the world.
0: You gave us the percentage of your overall business that's coming from the internet. Do you track what percentage of the internet leads that come in you're converting to a closing? Yes, we do.
1: Great question. And last year, it was almost 7%, which, is, which again, isn't wow. a huge number, but it's so much better than it was five years ago that we're, we're very
0: happy with that number. Did I get that right? Did you say that if you get 100 internet leads in, seven, seven of those are going to turn into closings?
1: That's correct. Now, what I would say is that's over time, meaning in a 12-month rolling period of time, that's the result. However, if I get 100 new leads this month,
0: seven of them aren't going to close. That's incredible numbers that you're converting 7%. And, and I understand it's taking a little bit of time and follow-up. What do you think the timeline is for that? You said it takes some time. When do you think those seven would close out? Would that be within six months, a year, five years? How, how long do you think it takes before you're going to see those 100 leads turn into seven closings?
1: The results really show it. it's about 18 to 20 months and that's because at about 12 sometimes it's obviously much faster, but 12 months, 18 months is when you actually see them start to have the buying signals, and then it can be you know up to 20 months before they're actually closed. And I think people you know, don't have to take into into account that, while you know 90some percent of everyone starts their, their process on the Internet, their buying process, they start well ahead of when they intend to buy. And so, and most people just don't have the system in place to keep in touch with people in a meaningful way that long a period of time to actually capture the buyer.
0: You know, 7% is extraordinary. The average agent might be somewhere between a half a percent and a percent. Really great agents I talk to are probably around 2%, sometimes 3%. you are double that up at 7%. That's extraordinary. You just mentioned it has to do with the touches. My, my big question is, how are you doing this? How are you converting such a huge percentage compared to your peers? How are you converting such a huge percentage of these internet leads? What's the secret? The
1: secret really is in the follow-up. And, and I think the difference is, what is the message of the moment? Meaning, are you just sending out recipe cards or something silly like that? And I don't mean to say that that's not... Something's better than nothing. Or are you really evaluating the market? And are you really sending touch pieces either via the Internet or through other means that cause them to enter into your world through the Internet that are meaningful? So... What do those messages of the moment look like? And what are those biggest, you know, capture rates? You know, what ca- which pieces cause the big- biggest capture rates? And then how do you actually interact with those people on a long-term basis such that they do feel like they're in relationship with you via just being, you know, receiving something that's canned? So it's not, I'm not saying it's easy. And when I said earlier on this call that uh, how much I love the gals in the Philippines, they are absolutely committed. I'll give you an example. Grace is one of the gals that works with me, and we have an online chat on our website. I can guarantee you that if anybody goes on that online chat, she is there live answering their questions and handing them off to an agent when they get to a point that, that they you know need real estate services. And she's on that chat line starting about 2 in the afternoon until about 10 at night. And so you just can't – you wouldn't believe – those are some of the things that are very interactive, people like that. And we have anywhere from six – well, I think the lowest number ever, ever was two. But on average, we have 15 to 16 different unique visitors per day on that chat line to get on there and and need help or want information. And she is absolutely the direct – like an air traffic controller, getting them to the right people – so that, you know, they can see a property or get their property listed. So that's one, that's certainly just one of many that we're purposeful about.
0: You mentioned message of the moment. Could you give us an example of what a message of the moment would be?
1: Sure. So one that has worked really good for us this year, you know, if you've got an internet message and in the subject line it says, would you like to know the value of your home in less than 60 seconds? Most people, without talking to an agent, most people like that. And so, you know, it leads them to a, you know, a stealth site where they can actually put their information in and get information on what the range of value of their home is. Of course, our automatic response back to them right away is, gosh, here's the range. However, if you would like to know specifically what your home is worth today, you know, please call us at... Well, even if they don't call us, we call them back right away because they've given us all the information when they entered the system to get the rapid CMA. And we'll call them back and say, did you get all the information that you needed? Is there anything else that we can help with? These are live licensed agents calling them back. So Sharon Grace takes that information as soon as someone goes on our rapid CMA and gets it to an agent ASAP so that they can immediately call them back, ask them, did you get everything you needed? Is there anything else I can help with? Would you like me to come by your home this afternoon or in the morning and give you a, a very specific range of value? So those are, I think, some of the interactive pieces that we put in place that have caused our
0: conversion rates to be higher. Yeah, you've mentioned the word interactive several times. You're, you're trying to create a dialogue. Get, you're, you're, you want to start interacting, as you mentioned, start talking with them, start communicating with them, finding out what their needs are, uh, and, and you're putting them together with your agents. That's, that's really smart.
1: Well, here's what's funny. Sometimes people hear me on a call like this, and they'll actually enter into our system. They're an agent, just to see if what I'm saying really happens. Like, (laughs) is this this real? And then, you know, of course, Grace or Cher or Charlie, you know, they'll start down the path with them and they'll say, you know what? Actually, someone did this yesterday. And it was to an agent, Anchorage, um, who is with our company, but not on our team. And he tried to close her and she said, oh, no, 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 I'm working with Kristen Cole's team. I was just inquiring about us and such, but it was just funny that, it, you know, it was, it was an agent. The agent emailed us and said, hey, way you guys are doing, it's working because this person, you know, well, one of them was an agent and one of them was actually a buyer. Um, I, I tried to close on them and they wouldn't let me close on them. And the other one was an agent who actually entered our system same way through our chat line. Grace was chatting with her and she finally said, oh, I'm just an agent. I wanted to make sure that this was real.
0: I'd also like to point out that that message the moment you gave us is is really excellent. You obviously have some marketing chops, or you've borrowed some. The statement you made or the headline you have for email is, uh, would you like to know what the value of your home is? Now, that's a very common one, but you went on to add in 60 seconds, and then you went on to add as well without talking to an agent. That's incredibly powerful. How did you come up with such a great line?
1: Oh my gosh! I can tell you, there's nothing that I've ever come up with that is original. I'm sure I've, I borrowed that from someone, and just maybe plus it a little bit. You know, I think I think as agents, so oftentimes we we get so used to our jargon, our lingo, that we forget. Well, what's really important to the consumer? And sometimes what I've done is actually get some of my friends together who absolutely know nothing about real estate. And I'll put several pieces in front of them and say, okay, you know, which one do you guys like the best? What do you really like? And I remember I was so proud of this one piece, and I thought it was brilliant. And I put it in front of them, and they said to me, we have no idea what you're trying to say. <laughs> like, oh, my goodness. So I think over time, um, I've learned that simple, less cluttered, powerful message. One that I used, and this one was given to me by a fellow agent, Danny Grimes, was, Um, when there was the landing on the Hudson. Remember that, when when the U.S. Air lands on the Hudson River? And it was during kind of a downturn in Alaska, and I put the picture of the landing of that Hudson right in the middle of the postcard with all the people standing on the wings, and my caption was, Do you think experience matters? I've been an agent for 30 years. Call me today if you want to sell your home. When I say the message of the moment, sometimes it's taking something that's happening across the country and and using that to parlay into something that typically is very hard to articulate. It's hard to articulate, hire me, on experience. Yeah, so, and what's in it for me? But when you can actually give them a visual, they get that. They get that, you know what, it's important. Experience matters when that accident happened and that plane landed on the Hudson River. And so when you're in a down market, you don't think experience matters on which agent you hire. So it's a, it's a way for, to um, make the leap, for, for sellers to make the leap of why experience would matter in a nanosecond just with a picture versus you trying to articulate why on earth you're so great.
0: Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R E A L G dot TV. Now back to the show. It sounds like in your marketing you have pieces that are generic that go out on a clockwork system, but you're also looking out there into the current environment, you're picking up headlines in the news, for instance, you're tracking what's going on, and whenever you can tie that in to real estate, you're plucking that out of the headline of the news, of the current news, and you're putting it in to, to try to make a connection between how you can help people in real estate and what's going on out there in the world.
1: Yes, yes. And then when you find that message, here's the other thing I find interesting, they- will use it one time and think that everybody got it and everybody understood it and you're done. The most interesting thing is typically people have to hear or see something six times before it really registers. And so taking that message, you're not only using it as an internet piece, but as a postcard and a Facebook post and a Facebook ad and a Twitter a tweet, and I could go on and on. And the point is, not just once, but multiple times. We, um, every year we give tickets away to the Alaska State Fair. And last year we had like almost 800 people sign up to just get, you know, because it's free to the, if anyone in the public can sign up. Um, And, you know, just to get these $10 tickets to the state fair, it's just crazy. And this year, same thing. We have had a massive amount of people sign up for these tickets to the state fair. So I think when you're willing to also be very generous with the public, not just with the people you do business with and are willing to, you know, have fun with it, have contests and things like that, your out rate is also much much lower. People don't typically—it's uh, very rare that someone opts out of my, my subscription. For, you know, my email. Um, you know, they, very rare that they unsubscribe because they, I think um, that they always feel like they're getting value from me. Whether it's value about the industry, having fun, free giveaways, and th- then you know, as you can imagine, they come into our office to get the tickets. I take pictures with them, we put it in our full-color newspaper, we put it in our Facebook page. We, So it's never just something that we do, and we always take everything that we do and we we, we message it across everything.
0: And, and we make it fun, too. I'm still stuck on that 7% conversion on Internet leads, and I know a lot of people want to hear about that. Could you kind of give us a big picture view of how your follow up is structured? For instance, you know what happens on day one, two, three. I know you can't go into every single day, but kind of a big picture, like how many times do you want to contact them in a, a per month or per year? You know, what, what does your program look like? As far, and are those contacts by voice, by email, by postcard? You know, what exactly are you doing to to get this conversion?
1: Yes, 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 and yes. So, yes, it's via Internet. Yes, it's via postcard. And we happen to know which month of the year that people, you know, we happen to know specifically in the Alaska market. If you send out a postcard in the summer, no one's ever going to see it. It'll take people a minute to get that. Well, the reason is is because seven to nine months of the year, you know, you're stuck inside. It's cold. It's dark. So what do they do in the summer? Everyone's outside. They're having fun. so if you haven't, Gotten the lion's share of the listing market in January through May, you have missed it. So we're very, very purposeful, and, and in Arizona, it's exactly the reverse because you know the, the seasonality, if you will, is completely different. So you've got to know your market. You've got to make sure that your message into the moment, and then you've got to make sure that people are actually receiving what your, your messages and understand that. Mrs. Mrs. client or potential client may look at email, but her husband may never look at email and only looks at, at something they receive in a post office box. Or some people, will only, it'll only register if she talks to them on the phone. So it's everything. And I think what we do typically is we have this generic campaign that goes out generically, and there's absolutely no human, you know, human interaction to any degree, and it feels very generic because it is. And that's why we get the results that we get. So when you can tie all of that, and then, oh, by the way, send your agents on the ground going door to door, which I know sounds like, oh, my goodness, are you kidding? Door to door? Yes. And then, you know, you can knock on and, and then slide out. You said messaging, and then send a slide broadcast to every single one of those doors that you knocked on and put a door hanger on in less than an hour, and you can, you can go through hundred. That's powerful. So all of a sudden, you come home at the end of the day. You hear this message from me that says we were by your home that morning, which we were, and we left you a door hanger. And, you, and, and, and the message of the moment is, do you want to the value of your home in less than 60 seconds or whatever it is that's on that door hanger? So hopefully you can see now where this is not just one thing. It is a, it is a singular message tied to multiple, multiple Outlets, if you will, or lead generation mediums. sources beyond mediums. There you go. I couldn't think of the word um, tied to multiple mediums that produce the result. I mean, when you think about it, let's just say you go buy a new car. When you when you're thinking about going and buying that new car, you see that car everywhere. Um, trust me. When I was pregnant, I saw pregnant women everywhere. <laughs> and so, I I think it's it's bringing up the awareness level. And that's not easily done. It takes, I think, a lot of things being done at the same time together that make that happen. And it's not all being done by one person, it's being done by a team of people who each have a responsibility to each part of that.
0: That's really interesting. And that is an advanced marketing concept. So you're, you're going after this, these folks in multiple mediums, as you said, by door, by the phone, by postcard, uh, uh, multiple ways to get to them, email, all kinds of ways. It sounded like you're trying to time that so that the message from those different mediums gets to them at about the same time. So it, ha- it amplifies the message. Is that true?
1: Um, not, yes and no, not necessarily. I would say more yes when I'm going into a new location, more no. It's not really as imperative when it's in a market that I've, I have a lot of vein recognition already in. So it can be that, especially if there's something real specific. And I say real specific, meaning, oh, gee, our Pi Day. You know, we do Pi Day at, during Thanksgiving, and so we send that out as a message in a variety of different ways. You know, and you we know, had over 300 people come in our office in Wasilla last year just to pick up their pie. Well, that doesn't happen just because you send them or call them one time or send them a message one time or email them one time. It's everybody being purposeful about that event can be purposeful about what we want the result to be. So whether you call it a dance or not and whether or not it's happening all at the same time, what I would say is that you are touching them in many, many different ways so that you can make so – that, so that one of them will will – make a connection with them.
0: You mentioned earlier, I think you said Sly Broadcast. What is that? So Sly Broadcast is where I can record a message
1: that actually then gets sent out to uh, people's cell phone numbers. And it, it looks like a missed call. And so they get my recorded voice is telling them whatever it is that I want to tell them, message of the moment, if you will.
0: So, it's a message that you record that bypasses them picking up the phone and goes directly to their voicemail? That's correct. And so you're able to blast that out to 100 people at one time rather than making 100 individual phone calls? That's true. And you're tying that into the programs like you mentioned earlier where you knock on their door, you knock on 100 doors that day with you and your staff and then you send that message out that later that day or that night saying, hey, I knocked on your door today. So they either answer the phone and or I assume you left something there, maybe a door hanger. And now they're, they're hearing from you, seeing from you, talking to you. If, if they're at the door, there's there's a lot going on there all at once. Yes,
1: yes, yes, absolutely. And so that's what I mean by really... Um, having systems in place that make sure that that happens every time we lift a house, when we pend a house, when we sell a house, after the house closes. Those are all those are all just part of a system that happens.
0: Do you have a goal of having a certain number of touches with that person over a certain amount of time? The goal originally was a typical, I shouldn't say typical, but you know, to make sure that we're touching them
1: in some manner every three weeks. What I know today is it's, it's a much higher number than that. Um, what I do know is that even though we may send out more touches than that—either live, in person, face to face, door hanging, voicemail, slide, dial, email touches—what what I've discovered is that the homeowner doesn't see all of them. The husband might see some. The kids might get the message. The wife might not see any of it. And so that—that's why it, you know originally back in the day when it was three copies plus hard. And when you literally had to go deliver an offer because we didn't have fax machine, if you sent out that many pieces of mail, people got annoyed with you. And I thought, well, why don't they get annoyed today? Because we we really have a much higher degree of touches than ever before. And I think the reason is is because not everyone receives the same touch for many, many different reasons. Where before, it was like, you either talk to them on the phone, you sell them face-to-face, or they got a piece in mail. And I think our world is very different today because of the Internet and because of electronics.
0: Kristen, I, I want to go back and touch on expansion teams again because we don't get to talk about that very often. There are very few people that we bump into that are doing it. And you're in a very interesting position. You're not only doing expansion teams yourself – you're also helping others put together expansion teams if I if I understand correctly. What what is your title? What is your role there with Keller Williams on a, a national level as far as expansion teams?
1: I'm the vice president of Mega Agent Expansion, which means uh, Buck stops with me, meaning I, I run the division and which needs to be profitable and growing. And at the same time, I'm also interacting on a daily basis with those agents who are expanding across the country, either expanding locally at first, which the majority of them have, and there's probably a dozen or so within our company that are already in multiple markets in multiple states. And so I am uh, talking with those people. I am coaching them. I am um, you know, having dialogue with them uh, on a daily basis about what's working, what's not, what frustrations do you have, what, what challenges have you come across that, that we can support you with, So whether it's legal issues, financial issues, system issues. um, So those are the things that we're talking about on a daily basis.
0: Your sphere of influence, your people that you're talking to, how many agents are we talking about? How many agents are are working on expansion right now? Is it a dozen? Is it 50 or 100? How many many agents are currently working on expansion teams?
1: We actually launched our division a year ago in um, the 1st of March. And today we have just over 600 memberships in the division in terms of agents who are either getting ready to launch or have launched for their first expansion team. And we have over 100 expansion teams who are in multiple
0: markets. You're getting a, a lot of data, a lot of feedback on what's working and what's not. You've got a lot of people there. What's the biggest expansion you've seen so far it's a relatively new concept what's the biggest somebody's taken this so far
1: so that's probably brian gubernick and uh, his partner jason abram his hub is based right here in phoenix arizona he's also in california in two different markets in california he's in portland he's in seattle he's in michigan and then his he also has a team here in phoenix as well as his hub being here in phoenix so they are in multiple markets Specifically in the in the West, but then also in Michigan, and you know have have a goal of being in a hundred locations within the next twenty four months.
0: How do you see these expansion teams bumping up against or conflicting with existing teams in the the market they're expanding into?
1: what's interesting is is that you can take example after example where an expansion agent has partnered with a market center to bring an expansion partner there. And what ends up happening is the exact opposite of what most people think will happen. I can think of an example right now in Portland where the agent was about a two million dollar a year producer. Here he is almost two years later and he's gonna be somewhere just shy of thirty million. Wow and he was an agent on his own for years and could not get could not get past two million dollars in volume. But partnering with an expansion agent who had the systems and models in place, lead generation systems and the leadership, in two years, I don't remember how much growth he just did in one year. But here's what happens. In the market center, all of a sudden, they see this guy who didn't do some of the things that he's doing now. One of them was lead generating. So he would get up every day. There's no space left in the market center. He would literally go into the broom closet and make phone calls. And what ended up happening is you see the production level in the entire office go up when agents come in and perform at that level because they're following systems and models. It's not rocket science. They're just following systems and models. And that is is the secret sauce, lead generating and following systems and models. And so an expansion agent who has a rock-solid hub and understands the value of lead generation can teach that, train it, and help develop that in people who – want that but just haven't been able to achieve it on their own and so there are just lots of examples of that across the country and we find that the production level in the market center goes up not down when expansion agents come into it because it actually ends up attracting other agents to, to the office interestingly enough
0: and to that expansion program i assume i assume that people would be calling that expansion agent and asking if they could also be an expansion partner in that area
1: you're exactly right. You're exactly right. And so then, instead of going and having to find expansion partners, now all of a sudden, you have folks that are that are that are seeking you out.
0: Well, let's look at the example you gave. This this gentleman went from two million to thirty million in volume. And I know that that we're not talking percentages, but let's throw them out there for fun. Let's say it's a fifty-fifty split. Basically, that means he went from two million on his own to fifteen million on the split. That's that's seven times the production, the seven times the income. Uh, that's not a bad deal.
1: Well, not only that, but you have to remember he's not doing all the paperwork and all the, all of the follow-up either anymore. A less stressful life. Yeah, he's making more money, He's doing the, the things that he likes to do, and he doesn't have to do the things that he's not good at anymore.
0: You're talking to a lot of people. You have 600 people in the program that are working on expansion teams at some level. What are the keys to success that that if somebody wants to look at an expansion team, they should recognize? What are some of the things that are pros and cons? What are the keys to success? What are you seeing out there that's working and not working?
1: Well, one thing for sure is, you know, you have to make sure that you have good systems and models in place to begin with, Um, because all of a sudden, if you start expanding and you don't, it's going to put a lot of pressure on that centralized hub and, you know, it, it, will, it will be very challenging because even with the, you know, really the folks that have it dialed in, what they discover, even though they think they have everything dialed in when they start to expand, they discover very quickly that they find holes in their systems that they didn't know they had. And so um, what I would say is make sure that you have, you know, the systems and models and people in place to support Another location at the highest level before you actually start expanding, because there's only really two things that are ever going to take you out of this expansion world, and one is it's either financial or legal. So, do you have the money to survive some of your mistakes? Because you will make them, and you just don't want to ever do anything ethically or immoral that would that would that would you know, take your license away. So, the next thing I would also say is make sure that you have reserves set aside. You know, because all of a sudden if you have four or five locations and all of them have a bad month, that could be interesting financially. So making sure that you've got the financial structure in place, that you have, you know, the systems and models in place as well, those are what will set you up to be successful with expansion
0: you said systems and models. So you really want to have success in your current market before you expand because expansion is going to amplify whatever results you're getting. So if you're currently not doing well in your current market, expansion is not going to help. It's going to make things worse. It's going to amplify those bad results. But if you have a current system in your current market that's working very well, good systems and models in place, expansion is an opportunity for you. Very well
1: said. That's absolutely true. And even if you're operating at a high level and you're having the results that you want in your current location, I just want everyone to understand that even when you first expand, that that does, is not going to uh, make you immune from still discovering that you might have some
0: holes that you need to fill. You did something interesting. I'm going back to your current situation. It just, it's really surprising to me that you expanded your hub across markets. Was that because of the legal issue? You wanted to put some people in Arizona as administration rather than keeping your entire hub in Wasilla?
1: So, for instance, the director of lead generation and marketing lives here in Phoenix. So, I didn't need a director of lead generation and marketing when I was in one location. I do need one today, and it makes sense, at least, you know, it doesn't have to be this way, absolutely doesn't have to be this way, but it makes sense for them to be physically near, you know, in the same location I'm at, so we can just move faster if that's the case. So I just chose, I wasn't tied to the outcome, but I was thrilled to death when the candidate that ended up getting hired was was from Arizona. You know, when I was looking for that person, I wasn't tied to the location they were from, I was just tied to someone who... Who wanted to um, blow things up and blow things up? I mean, in a good way, in terms of volume and production. And they just happened to come from this market. Doesn't have to be that way, however. So that's one example. The other example would be, you know, the, the listing and closing coordination here in Phoenix. And I already went through the reasons why I chose to do that. Didn't have to, but chose to based on where I know I'm going versus where I am today.
0: If someone listening want to, to get into expansion, do you recommend that they keep their hub, their core, centralized and close to them, as close to them as possible before they, they try kind of these advanced techniques of having people in multiple states or even multiple countries?
1: That would certainly be ideal. Again, I try not to get tied to that box because otherwise it can stunt your growth. And I mean... Because if you're, if you're trying to only happening that way, you might miss an opportunity with somebody that's not located geographically where your hub is. And, and I would have definitely missed the opportunity with, with the gentleman that I hired, Director of Lead Generation Marketing, if I had said they have to live in Wausau, Alaska. They have to be where the rest of the hub is. But I think initially that's always ideal for it to, for it to be that way. But you have to think about all of a sudden when you have a hundred locations, it may not always be... It depends on where you started. Like, if you if you start in a location like I did, that our fellow only have one market center in Alaska, it makes your opportunity for growth pretty small. So, if you're in Florida, Arizona, Texas, California, it makes it a lot easier to basically have the majority, if not all, of your tub geographically central. But... You started it from a real location like I did. That doesn't always make sense
0: expansion teams, they're they're this new concept, but you have 600 experiments going on right now. And it's new. The kinks are still being worked out. There's going to be a lot of trial and error. And that inherently means there's going to be some failure. Things aren't going to work because you're trying new things. And so what are the lessons that you've learned there? What kind of structure or arrangements have failed and why did they fail? What have you learned on that side? I would say the
1: most important thing is to go slow. I think a lot of people, you know, think it's, gosh, this new wonderful idea, which it is. However, like anything else, go slow with your first location. It may take you, you know, a couple of years to really dial in expansion at your first location and really understand the holes that were there that you didn't understand were there until you expanded the first time. So my first piece of advice would be to go slow. And go slow to go fast, meaning go slow now so you can go fast later. Uh, you know, there, there's just so many things you're going to discover the first time you expand. And so many, I'll give you an example. All of my stationery business cards, all of my marketing was Alaska-oriented. There's a big mountain there in Moorcella. It's right outside the back door of my house. It was in all of, all the pictures. Well, it doesn't really work very well when you're marketing in Phoenix, Arizona, and there's cactuses. So we had to go back and really completely um, make our 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 marketing or our look more generic versus geographic so there's there's just things that you figure out along the way that you've got to modify change fix and that's why the first one can take longer than you really think it's going to take, and it's not going to be as profitable initially because you're making a lot of changes and and um, modifying things so I just, my first piece of advice is slow down, take your time with the first expansion, and and be really okay with it if it takes
0: you a couple years to get it all dialed in. And I assume that it's critical to find the right person in that expansion market. How do you find that person and make sure they're the right person before you pull the trigger?
1: Well, there's certainly um, not not a 100% guarantee. You know, at our company, we, we have a, it's another system called Recruit Select, that it really is a system to help you attract the best people and then really to take them through an interview process that isn't just one interview. It's, it's multiple interviews that uh, allow you to discover to the best of your ability, is this someone, what's their natural behavior? Does their natural behavior fit the role that I'm hiring them for? Do they have a track record of success? And what what is their motivation? What is their big why? Why are they doing all this? And does that fit in your world culturally? So it's a a process. It's not a guarantee. But it's a really good system that, that to the best of our ability, certainly tees you up to have a greater success of hiring the right person and then training them in that first 100 days. And and what I always tell people is, you know what? Yes, Yes, we have hired you, but we're not married yet. We're engaged. And the next hundred days, you know if if at any time you feel like this is not the right fit for you, you can you can certainly bail out of the out of the out of the marriage, out of the out of um, our being engaged and we won't get married. And same thing on our side. So I think you do the best you can in terms of going through the process of making that hire, and then you take them through the next hundred days and give both parties really the opportunity to exit out if they don't think it's the right fit for them. And again, not a perfect system, but it's certainly better than the system I had before that, which was trial and error and praying and hoping it worked.
0: Well, Kristen, the majority of your business is, is still coming in from past clients and sphere of influence, referrals and repeats. When you tell us that that's what's happening, is is that you and your personal database or is it now your agents, your expansion partners and their databases that you've helped develop?
1: Everyone has their own sphere of about 200 people that they come to the table with. But when you're talking about the supermajority of the business that we're doing, it's really coming from and being generated by what I'm doing, meaning the vision that I've set for here's how we're going to sequentially go into an area and here's how we're going to decide do we actually want to sell real estate in that location or not and what are the deciding factors And I can just tell you quickly, some of them are, what's the average sales price, what's the turnover ratio, what's the number of days it takes from, you know, listing to closing. All those things are important. And if they don't meet a certain standard, we just choose to not go into that geographic location. Once we've chosen to go into that area, then we just have a system that we roll out that allows me to become the expert that really, it it is promotion of the Christian Cole Real Estate Network. And... The marketing is around is around that, and so there are some people that if they want to see their name in headlights, and if they want it to be about their brand, it's probably not going to be a good fit for them, because in order to create the synergy of the brand, the brand has to be, you know, it has to be similar across all locations. It can't be we do this here and we do this over there, and and it changes all the time. And, and again. When, when you're sitting down talking with someone about joining expansion, I think when you go through that conversation of what's important to them and figure and really finding out what is important to them, if it's someone who really wants their own brand and really wants to develop it, that's not a bad thing at all. It just may mean that they're not a good fit for the expansion world that you're developing. So in order for me to develop at the highest level, the quickest, the fastest, the most efficient and profitable, it, it is about branding across all locations in a similar format because that's really the only way to be efficient and effective.
0: Even though you're in multiple markets, you are still pushing your brand into each of those markets. That's correct. So the sphere of influence closings that are happening, are they happening now in multiple markets? Are, are you having sphere of influence past client closings in all three of your markets, your core and your two expansion markets?
1: Well, I'll give you. I'll give you an example. Um, day before yesterday, I got a call. Actually, it was a text from an agent in Florida who had just listed a house. In conversation with her, the daughter mentioned that the mom and dad wanted to sell their house right here in Paradise Valley. He texted me all the information. We immediately got all the information and got in contact with the folks. And that's you know that's completely from my sphere of influence. It, which sounds so funny, but it's my sphere of influence with other agents. So it comes from a variety of sources. I can tell you that, you know, now having been here in Arizona for a few years and several of my friends from Alaska have second homes here, now all of a sudden that synergy, beyond just having to create the now business, the repeat and referral business is starting to happen, which you would expect after a couple of years. So that's why... You have to make sure when you go into a new location, do you have lead generation systems that can create now business while you build the database and you build relationships that cause the repeat and referral business? I can tell you the majority, supermajority of the business in Anchorage now, we are setting appointments for Charlie. That's not to say that he isn't calling his fear, and that's not to say that he doesn't call expired and for sale owners. He does but the majority of the closings are coming from what we're doing for him.
0: Well, Kristen, you mentioned the the core team and the expansion partners. Help us bring it all together. Let's talk about your team, and what I'm looking for there is, could you go down a quick list and tell us who's on the team?
1: In Alaska, the hub, where the majority of the people that are part of the centralized hub are located, we have a, a lead admin And her responsibility is to hire and fire any additional admin underneath her. And her other responsibilities, of course, are to support the lead listing specialist as the listing coordinator. So she's been with me 17 years. She is a very driven, very focused person, really does a a great job. So her responsibilities are listing coordination. She also does all the, uh, again, Everyone, like I said, except for the follow who puts up the signs is licensed on my team. I think that's important. So she's calling and getting price reductions. She's um, calling on expired. She's calling on the pipeline of sellers coming into our, our world that haven't listed yet. So her primary purpose is to tee up the listing partner and to support them in such a way that when they go on their listing appointment, the seller has been pre-sold really. So she does a lot of upfront work. And she also is responsible for the other admin on the team. So the other admin would be our closing coordinator. And her responsibility is, as soon as the file pens, is to take it all the way to closing. Um, We also have, and I don't want to call him a runner because he's much more than that, but the fellow who is responsible for all of our signage, you know, when he puts up the sign, he also puts door hangers on all the doors, um, you know, within a certain radius of the home. And he, he supports the team in a lot of different ways, but he also does a lot of errands for us and, and supports me to, at, a, at a personal level as well when I'm home. But his primary purpose is put signs and lockboxes up, take photos, although we do have professional ones taken as well, put all the door hangers on. When the, sign, when the property goes pending, to put the sale pending sign up. When it goes to closing, to put a sold sign up for three weeks after closing. So he does does all of our inspections, especially in the winter, you know, inspects all of the homes that might be vacant or foreclosed on that we're responsible for. So he does a lot of work. We also, I have a full-time bookkeeper who is responsible for all the finances in every single location, plus all my personal finances. I get a report from her every Friday. It tells me everything I need to know financially about what happened that week. So it's unlikely that I would have a bad month because I'm literally looking at it every single week. I'm going to have a bad week. Chances of having a bad month are slim. I have a listing partner. She's the lead listing partner there in Wasilla, and she does all of the listings. But what I would say is my lead admin is also a backup for her, and since she's licensed, she certainly can go take a listing if she needs to. And then I have four buyer agents located there as well. In Anchorage, we have Charlie who does both listings and buyers, he's my expansion partner in Anchorage. In the Philippines, we have four team members who do all of the back-end work um, to support all those folks, everything from taking a video that was done with one of our B2B partners and putting it on YouTube, creating flyers for the listing partner, I mean, really anything that's back-end supported for any of our locations all the reporting, all the report the number gathering, source gathering at the end of our month. They do all the reports for where did the business come from, what was the percentage, what does it look like you saw some of those production reports. So they really they do the absorption reports for each location so that our listing partners can show versus tell what's going on in the market to our sellers. They they just do a high, high level of of back end work. And down here in Arizona, we have our director of lead gen marketing i have my executive assistant and we have four listing partners and so that that entails our our group
0: are you profitable
1: indeed a great question i certainly wouldn't be doing this if i wasn't um <laughs> so yes yeah, uh, and, and the typical model if you're still in production which i'm not oh by the way doesn't mean i i won't uh, uh, I'm, i refuse to go take a listing that's not the case i'm and basically, I'm responsible for the vision. I'm not responsible for the execution anymore. And certainly, I haven't been on a listing appointment in years. However, having said that, when, when you're still in production, your profitability on the team of this size is really going to be somewhere in the 35 to 40% range. When you are no longer in production, you've had to replace yourself as that primary listing agent, you're probably going to be in the 20 to 25% range. Um, which,
0: again, is still a very, very big business. Are you in that 20 to 25% range? Yes, I certainly am. Given year,
1: if, I, if I'm launching into another area, it may get down back into as low as 18%. And it also has been higher. Because sometimes when you're going into another market, you didn't have expenses initially that over time look very different.
0: And you mentioned you're monitoring your financials at least once a week to stay on top of that to make sure you know, if anything started to slip, you would see it right away.
1: What's so funny is I've looked at these numbers for years and years and years. Then when you have it it's like a pilot looking at a dashboard on a plane, you can see something out of place in a nanosecond.
0: Well, Kristen, what drives you? Um, it's
1: changed over time. Initially, one of the things that drove me Early on, as I was a single mom with five kids, that's a pretty big driver. I really wanted all my kids to have a college education, if that's what they chose, and I didn't want them to get out of college like I did and take 10 years to pay off their debt and to really feel almost um, handcuffed versus more entrepreneurial, more purposeful about what they're doing. And so a big drive for me is I wanted my kids to graduate from college with no debt and I wanted them to have a vehicle. They didn't have to be new, but new to them. So that the day they graduated, they actually had a, they they could make the decision about what they wanted to go do based on their passion versus based on this massive amount of debt that had accumulated to get their education. So I'm happy to tell you that my youngest daughter graduated from college in May, and so I all of my kids have now graduated college, some of them with two degrees, and as I mentioned, three of the five graduated right here in Arizona, and all my kids go home. Alaska is a strong magnet. They all go back to Alaska um, when they have finished their education, but it really gives them the opportunity to, be, to, to really follow their passion versus being strapped to a bunch of debt. So, yes, you know, so what's my big why. That was a huge driver for me for years, and I would say today that has shifted. And my passion is to really to lead and influence other leaders who want to lead and influence other leaders to really do something that has never been done before. And when, when you think about leading other leaders who lead other leaders, it allows you to really multiply versus just add to. So today. I'm really passionate about helping other people get what they want with and through me. So it's my job to create a big enough
0: world that they can succeed at doing that without having to go somewhere else. Kristen, why have you been so successful? I would say that you know, the drive, the, the, the gifts in me were, were naturally, I
1: believe, given to me. I really believe I was, God gave these gifts to me. What I've done with them has been my choice. However, I would also say that character is, is never developed at a time of crisis. It's nearly revealed. And I, I'm also thankful to say that, you know, I, I you know, foundationally really had, you know, made some decisions about things early on. And as I grown older that I really live by so that, you know, I've had plenty of, of challenges, crises in my life. And instead of those things making me bitter, what they've done, I think, over time, has made me better and allowed me to help more people because of some of the experiences I've had to go through. So I, And I just say that I was just given a natural God-given gift that I just failure is just not an option. And I get up every day, no matter what happened the day before, and I get back on the horse and just do everything humanly possible. To really focus and help other people get what they want, and then I don't have to worry about the results. They just naturally happen from that.
0: Kristen, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first?
1: Get real clear about what they want. Once they're clear about what they want, that will help determine should you go ahead and continue as a single agent or would you be better off joining a team. It really depends on what you want. So I think clarity on what's important to them. Uh, what drives them. If they don't know, there's a great uh, video, Simon Sinek, a TED Talk on uh, discovering your big why. It's a really, you know, for anybody who doesn't know what their big why is or what's driving them, that's certainly a great place to start. But I would say more than anything, get very, very clear on what it is that you want. Begin with the end in mind and then work backwards from there.
0: Do you think the top agent interviews, like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent, are valuable?
1: Oh, my goodness. If you were only around 30 years ago when I started, I could have avoided so many mistakes. <laughs> um, I think it's incredibly valuable. I mean, you know, people ask, ask me all the time, well, since you got your degree in real estate, that must have been really valuable. Mm, no, not so much. And I'm kidding when I'm saying that. It does teach you, really, perseverance, perseverance to get a degree. But what I can say is that I learn more from interviews like what you produce on a, on a monthly basis than, than, any, than any book or any, you know, anything else because these are people who, that you're interviewing who are, who are kind enough and caring enough to share their mistakes so that you don't have to make them. And um, I think most successful people truly want others in, this, in, in their business to succeed as well. And most most successful people will tell you everything that they've done to to, to, um, to make that happen. So I think they're wildly valuable and it certainly have been a big part of my success. And I didn't say that earlier, but that is absolutely true. I've always been part of monthly calls, monthly CDs, back in the day, m- tapes, so that I can hear other people who've gone before me and done it right, done it well, made mistakes, but really are generous about their information that's where i think i have because i said earlier in the call i don't have an original idea at all anything i've learned i've learned from exactly
0: what you just described other people well kristen i've come to the end of my questions for today do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners
1: the only thing i would say is think bigger be willing to be more open-minded than you ever have and the possibilities are endless and And regardless of what bad tape you might have had in your in your head you know before today take that bad tape out listen and be willing to try some things that may be out of your comfort zone but get around people who've done them before have them help you because you can succeed beyond your wildest imagination if you will get that limiting belief out of your mind and allow your mind to be expanded and think bigger
0: well Kristen your mind is expanded and you're thinking bigger. You figured out a way to grow your business beyond the limits of your small local area through expansion teams into other markets. You've tested the expansion concept on your own team, improved your systems, and helped your expansion partners achieve new heights. You've also opened the doors for other agents to grow beyond their existing market and you've helped over 600 agents experiment with expansion teams models of success are appearing and being fine-tuned with you at the helm of the expansion team concept the future looks very bright thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month and join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 251 homes last year worth 33 million and over 10,000 homes in her career Find out who she is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV. Real Estate Agent Lead Generation Television and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's freeleadtime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward.
1: You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind
0: Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can
1: find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.